back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I'm joined by Dr. Corey Peacock. Now, if you are a fan of mixed martial arts, boxing, high-level striking, UFC, Bellator, 1FC, whatever competition you can think of, most likely Corey has worked with some of these top athletes, ranging from Rumble Johnson to Michael Venom Page, um, uh, Volt Rare. What is that, guys? I can't pronounce his name. No time, anyway. Um, Stefan Struve, Matt Mitrion, and the list goes on and on. So Corey breaks down exactly how he trains these athletes. Corey is a physiologist and has a keen interest in sleep and recovery as well. This is a must-listen-to episode if you're involved in martial arts. Um, so definitely check out this episode and get some great insights to uh, training elite-level fighters. This episode will commence after a few adverts from our sponsors. Uh, the last about two three minutes, and then we'll kick straight into the episode. If you'd like to get in contact with Corey or myself, all the information will be in the show notes. Uh, you can follow Corey on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll put up um, some more contact info there. And as always, you can contact me, Ian Dunican, at sleepforperformance.com.au or head over to sleepforperformance.com.au for lots of free stuff, information, and just basically a central hub or on Twitter at sleepforperform. Hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is brought to you by Orbiz. Orbiz are a global consulting firm who facilitate the rapid delivery of significant and sustainable improvements in performance across a diversity of industries. They facilitate turnaround, transformation and strategic improvement programs through the development and implementation of a system and culture of lean and continuous improvement. Now Orbiz are growing their global presence across the Asia-Pacific region, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas. Their range of services include optimization of business development systems to deliver growth, true to operating system improvements that reduce cost by improvements in safety, quality and productivity. So what this means for your business, typically they will give you outcomes such as a reduction in cost. Who can beat that? Increasing capacity utilization, throughput, increase in revenue, profitability, and overall customer value and satisfaction. Orbis have extensive experience in facilitating change in challenging environments by utilizing lean tools and methodology, joining engagements across the world, including diverse um, sectors and industry, such as mining, energy, construction, transport, aerospace, manufacturing, and healthcare. Orbis people are industry professionals driven to achieve sustained results through the development of trusted relationships. So head over to www.orbiz.io, that's Orbiz, O-R-B-I-Z.io, for more information, get in contact with them to organize a visit today to your organization. This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is also brought to you by Sleep WA, Western Australia. Now, Sleep WA is one of the only few nationally accredited sleep laboratories in Western Australia, meaning that they have put their services and quality systems to the test against the national standards. They provide commitment and dedication by providing you a high quality service. Now, I've worked with these guys before. They are excellent. Um, they are a very diligent business and one that is trusted here in Western Australia. Sleep WA is one of the only sleep and respiratory centers to provide holistic care and treatment for all sleep and respiratory disorders, not just obstructive sleep apnea, which many people would have hear, heard about in, uh, in the news or in, in the scientific literature or even on this podcast. 
So Sleep WA believe that all patients deserve compassion, support, multiple treatment options and education to allow them to actively participate in their own journey to better health. Sleep WA provides a comprehensive service to diagnose and recommend treatment of all respiratory diseases and sleep disorders. This includes rare sleep disorders and those complicated by cardiovascular disease. The Sleep WA philosophy is to offer patients expert diagnosis, effective therapy and supportive guidance on the road to better health and sleep. They are a leader in respiratory and sleep medicine and provide the following service at locations throughout Western Australia. Consultation with experienced specialists, comprehensive respiratory testing for lung disease, asthma and allergies, inpatient sleep studies, home-based sleep studies, that's pretty handy, insomnia management programs for insomnia and circadian disorders, and fatigue management programs to reduce risk and improve health in the workplace. So get started on your journey towards better health and sleep today and head over to Sleep WA, that's WA for Western Australia, and get in contact with Dion and Jack over there. This episode is also brought to you finally by Fatigue Science. The Fatigue Science Ready Band is a wearable device that helps you improve safety and your performance through the science of sleep. The Ready Band is a way more than just a sleep tracker. It's the world's only sleep measurement tool that's paired with safety, a biomechanical fatigue model, which has a predictive algorithm. So what that means is actually predicting to the future what your performance is going to be based upon your data. This was initially developed by the US Army Research Lab and was uh, built to improve the performance of soldiers in operational environments. Now this device has been adapted to work in elite athletes and industrial workers. This is also a device that I have validated in the laboratory myself and I have used extensively in industry and research applications. As listeners of this podcast, you probably know that restorative sleep is about more than just the numbers of hours of sleep you get, factors like when you sleep, how much sleep that you have accrued, and even your local um, geographical location, so at sunset, the time you go to bed, the time the sun comes up, all of these things are all these different factors in chronobiology and that affect your performance. So this ready band was developed to incorporate all these factors that can really help you understand the real impact of sleep on your life. So ready band not only helps you track changes to your fatigue over time, but also allows you to discover new ways to achieve personal fatigue improvement goals. So you can actually measure the improvements that you're making uh, as you go. Now, ReadyBand is is relied on by lots of different organizations and they've got a very impressive resume. So winners of the Super Bowl, Seattle Seahawks have used this, the Chicago Cubs have used this, military special forces and workers who operate in uh, long shifts in dangerous environments such as tunneling underground, mining, oil and gas. Uh, it's been used in elite sports such as rugby, basketball, um, it's been used at the Australian Institute of Sport, it's been used in uh, elite MMA athletes who compete in the UFC. So it's a wide variety of applications. So if fatigue is important to you and your organization, whether you're a sports team or an industrial workforce, head to fatiguescience.com, that's fatiguescience.com, to speak to a member of their team and to learn more about how the ReadyBank can improve safety and performance in your organization. Thank you for listening to these ads. Now on to the episode.
we'll start recording. Three, two, one. Dr. Put Corey Peacock. Or see now, there you go. So first off the bat, is it Doctor, Mr. Professor, Lord? What should we call you? You guys just call me Corey Peacock. Corey that Peacock. works for me. But <laughs> yes, Doctor, PhD, exercise physiology. But just stick with Corey. It's easier. Corey. All right, Corey, welcome to the Sleep for Performance podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I've been really looking forward to this. I love the work that you guys are doing. I mean, you know, I, listening to some of your previous guests, the work you've done and stuff like that, I mean, this is where I'm getting my information. I'm by no means a sleep expert whatsoever. It's, it's you. It's the guests that you have on that are giving me the information to be able to work with my fighters. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. Well, that's, that's great to know, Corey, and I really appreciate that feedback. Um, so for people listening and going, oh, who's this Corey Peacock guy? Can you tell us what you actually do now and some of the fighters you work with? Because when you start listing these names, people's heads are going to spin off in the MMA world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so first and foremost, I said PhD in exercise physiology. I work as an associate professor at Nova Southeastern University in the health and human performance department. Uh, very fortunate to have that position and, and those resources. Outside of that, through my own business, uh, Peacock Performance uh, and Physiology Incorporated, I'm working with, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it, some of the best combat athletes in multiple sports. Um, looking at MMA, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with, you know, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Vitor Belfort, Rashad Evans at certain points in their career. Currently working with Luke Rockhold, Vulcan Ozdemir, Kamara Usman, Michael Chandler, among so many other. Uh, looking in the boxing world, I have you know former WBO uh, junior welterweight champion Chris Algieri. He's also a two-time kickboxing champion. Uh, Robin von Roost-Mullen, who is the you know I would say pound for pound one of the best kickboxers in the world two different weight division. Uh, anybody I left out, I hope nobody listens to this and punches me in the stomach, but you know, so many high level fighters, you know, that, that I'm fortunate enough to be working with in the capacity of strength and conditioning, physiology, nutrition, performance monitoring, um, a lot of different, a lot of different hats, a lot of different roles that I'm working with, with all of these fighters. Yeah, and I think if anybody wants to follow Corey on Instagram, which we'll put up a link at the, uh, in the show notes, is every day Corey is uh, in a picture with someone like Kamara Usman, uh, Rashad sure. Evans, Henry Hooft, like all these guys. Like we had to reschedule this podcast. First of all, Corey was like, <laughs> Corey was like, oh, I need to do something with Matt Mitrione. Then the next yep. time I was like, oh, Henry Hooft wants to do something. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like these are the people we watch on TV, you know, because we're mad yeah. MMA fans in our house. Even my wife is as well. You know, we, we traveled to the States to watch MMA back in 2010, UFC 118. Like we're crazy in this house. So to, 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 have, um, to, have, uh, to have someone on the podcast to work with those level of athletes is absolutely awesome. I suppose, Corey, yeah. do, you, do you often wake up some mornings and, and kind of pinch yourself and go, shit, I can't believe this. <laughs> well, you know, that, that really is the thing. It's, you know, people, I have so many people around me telling me, you know, you're doing too much. You're spread yourself too thin. You're, you know, how do you keep this going? But, but like you said, you know, having the opportunity to work with somebody, you know, for the most part, you know, people that are familiar with MMA, Henry Hoof squad is basically everybody that I just named right there. You know, the majority of my clientele is 
within the Hard Knocks team, Henry Hoof squad. You know, so I've been fortunate enough to work with him. A uh, few people outside of that, but mostly his team and, and his team alone. Um, you know, having the ability to to work with these individuals, having the ability to be there on the mats, watching them spar, watching them grind on a daily process. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't be more fortunate to do so. And, and no, you know, I, I, I mean, it's just what you said. I am pinching myself sometimes saying, I, I love what I do. And, and, and truthfully for me, it's just, it's an opportunity to be around people that are going to make me better at what I do. You know, I, I strive to be great. I strive to be the best in this human performance field. And without these resources, without these athletes, you know, I, I would never truly be able to do that. So I'm very fortunate and, you know, just th that's really it. Plan to continue to work towards that, to, to reach that status at some point of, you know, some of these different people that I look for, you know, look to in the performance field as, you know, the pioneers and the, you know, the best in the field. Yeah. So Corey, did, did you, did you grow up in Florida or did you move there from a different area? How, how did you get to come to that, to the South Florida region? Okay, so I grew up in Northwest Ohio, small town, um, Tiffin, Ohio. Okay, let's let's just stop there. What is the story in America? How come everybody is from Ohio and then moves somewhere else? <laughs> Most of my friends are from Ohio and have moved either to like Massachusetts, Florida, Arizona. What what what's that about? Why can't people just stay in Ohio? You know, I don't know. <laughs> the, the cost of living there is great. The people from Ohio, like you said, you've met a ton of people from Ohio. I, I truly, truly believe this, that the best people, the most <laughs> genuine people you're going to meet are from Ohio. So, you know, I, I don't know what it is about people moving away from there because I can tell you this, anybody that has left there, I guarantee you they will say nothing but good things about Ohio. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing I'll say about it. But for me, okay, I guess the easiest thing for me was I walked out on my front porch one day. I turned around, I looked at my house, and I saw probably four feet of snow on top of the house, on top of my car. I walked back inside. I started searching for jobs. I saw Nova Southeastern University that was six miles away from the beach and had a center <laughs> look overlooking the water. And I was like, that's where I'm going. So that, that was the easy, that was an easy decision for me. Well, you know, well, Corey, I can't say much. I'm an Irish man living in Australia for the last 15, 16 years. And probably I'd say three quarters of Ireland is either here in Australia or in America. So I can, I can, I can't really take the piss out of you. Yep. You understand. So that, that, that's the, that's the beauty of it. So, you know, it's a great place, great roots. And, and, you know, that's, that's basically it started in Ohio and ended up down here. So did you do your PhD and your studies in Ohio or? Yes. Yeah. So I did my, I did my PhD at Kent State University, um, Kent, Ohio, really close to Cleveland for those that are familiar with Ohio. Um, you know, exercise physiology track was very much introduced to a lot of different things there. Um, you know, strength and conditioning. I was fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity to spend time, work with, the strength and conditioning staff there at Kent State University um, within the exercise physiology department through all of the research that was going on there. I was exposed to, you know, environmental physiology, special population physiology, cardiovascular physiology. Um, truthfully, the, the odd thing was, I don't think any of the, the faculty and professors that I worked under 
were very much into the strength and conditioning. So I think that was kind of the component that I brought into their laboratories to be able to implement very much a strength and conditioning approach to the different studies and the populations and stuff they were doing. Um, so it was a great experience. And when I finished at Kent State University, that's when I took the um, professor job at Nova Southeastern University. And since I made it down here to South Florida, I've had the opportunity to work on the strength and conditioning staff with the at the University of Miami Hurricanes, uh, working just primarily with football. Uh, I've had the ability to work with the Florida Panthers in athlete testing uh, from the NHL. Uh, I've done research studies with the former head strength and conditioning coach with the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on with great performance specialists down here that, that I've had some interaction, some capacity to be able to work with. And then obviously now MMA, combat sports. So it sounds like, Corey, um, similar to myself, you're across many different disciplines, but you're trying to build a career or a track Absolutely. that has academic um, sort of components to it and more, um, I suppose, applied consultancy type real life <laughs> aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you find, how, do you find that um, that kind of is good for you? Do you find that like you bring from the real life examples, we'll say in a gym, working with some of these MMA athletes back into the lab for testing or working with students and, and kind of helps frame research questions? Or do you find that the research questions that you have from the lab are framing how you uh, conduct this strength and conditioning? You know, I, I think the one thing that I can say, I, I think doing what I'm doing, being exposed to what I'm exposed to both on the research side and the applied side <clears throat> I think it gives me a little bit of a, of a niche of just being real where I know that everybody, you know, and when I look at the students and the people I interact with, people know that I'm going to be able to take what I've learned from the research side and what I've learned from the applied side and marinate it. And what I'm doing is real. And, you know, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. I know you as a performance specialist and a sleep specialist, you have the ability to, I think there's, there's the research aspect of it. There's the general population research that you're going to read on sleep and performance, and, and in my case, strength and conditioning performance. But then there's this whole different animal known as combat athletes, professional athletes, that, <laughs> yeah. that it's, it, it's one of those things. And, and why am I so drawn to this sport? Everything that I know as a physiologist is challenged on a daily basis with this population. And, and that's the thing that you know, it, it really, you know, I will always take what I've learned in the laboratory through my education, through research, and take that approach and try to apply it when I start with an athlete. But I have to be able to adapt and change very, very quickly based on the special circumstances and the, the caliber of athletes that I'm dealing with. And it, and it has to be done because if you're only relying on the science and the research, you're fucked. If you're only relying on the hard-nosed, what the coaches are saying and what the athletes are saying, you're fucked. But if you can bring those two things together and find a good, comparable middle ground where you're not only seeing results from the testing side, but you're also seeing results from the performance and the fighting side, I mean, that, that's ultimately what you're trying to do. Well, Corey, that, that kind of leads nicely into a question that I want to talk about before we move on and start talking about sleep and recovery is around sure. the strength and condition and the preparation. 
MMA for for those people, mixed martial arts um, is what we call the sport, not UFC, not UFC, <laughs> but MMA right. is this sport which occurs in UFC, Bellator, uh, or formerly Strikeforce, WEC, or any other competition that you may have, have seen on TV or elsewhere. A lot of people ask, and I get this sure. at the gym as well when people find out what I do, is what's the best way to train for a fight? Now, typically a training camp for a fight is six to eight weeks out. People are like, um, should you focus on skills? Should you focus on your weight cut? Should you focus on building strength? Should you focus on aerobic? And my answer to that question has been typically, well, what kind of fighter do you want to be? Yes. You want to be a kind of a Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz style where you want to be highly aerobic, you want to have a good aerobic base and you want to kind of just wear your opponent down over time? Or do you want to be more like a Tyron Woodley where your power and strength um, and just come out and sort of blitz people in the first minute? Um, and sort of a lot of people are like, hmm, I don't really know. So a lot of people I think in, in that are fighting that I come across at the amateur level say, well, I don't really know. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously you'll hear podcasts like Joe Rogan or others or Nick Curson speaking about different strength and conditioning modalities um, sure. to get people ready for a fight. What, what have you, I suppose this is a very open question, but what have you found is the best way to get a, an athlete ready for a fight? Or is it really dependent on the athlete themselves? Sure. Is there, I mean, is there a magic formula? I, like, I don't think there is, but I'm interested to see if you, if you can uh, give me a magic formula maybe out there. Sure. Um, well, I guess I can just give you, you know, a little insight to my approach with each individual athlete. You know, I, again, I'm fortunate enough to have a research facility where I have every measure of testing available to me, you know, genetics, blood, saliva, sleep, metabolic rate, anaerobic power, aerobic power, balance, biomechanics, you know, I I have all of these things available. So that's a nice starting ground because realistically, we don't have to guess when it comes to measures of performance. Where is the athlete lacking? Where is the athlete excelling? And, and so on and so forth. So I think that's a good starting point. I think taking that information, sitting down with, like you alluded to earlier, Henry Hooft and Greg Jones and, and some of the great coaches that are the skill coaches for these athletes, being able to sit down and say, this is what I found with these athletes. Which of these things do you believe are going to hold them back based on the way that they fight and what your plan is? for this upcoming fight or whatever the case might be. And what of these things do you think, even though they might be slow as dirt, have never been a problem for these athletes? And, and I think that's a really good starting ground because, you know, again, when you're, when you're doing this amount of testing and when you're doing these kind of things that, that, you know, you and I are doing in the laboratory setting, you're going to find thousands and thousands of red flags, but you're also going to find thousands and thousands of, you know, places where these athletes completely excel beyond any numbers that you would ever imagine. Um, you know, and, and again, it's not a one size fits all. I, I look at somebody like, you know, let's just say, let's look at, let's look at rumble and people want to sometimes say, you know, he's, he's a, or Tyron Woodley or whatever, you know, this guy is an explosive anaerobic athlete, but could we work more on some of that conditioning? And now let me just be honest, Anthony Rumble's aerobic capacity is absolutely fucking crazy too. So he, I mean, he excels both ways. And actually, I'll be honest with you, that completely just trailing off, the majority of these athletes that excel in strength and power and anaerobic 
typically also excel in the aerobic capacity. That, that, that's one thing that I've found with mm-hmm. MMA guys that I always think is, is quite baffling, where if you, if you test a football player, you know what you're going to get. You mm-hmm. know the anaerobic ability you're going to get, and you know probably the lack of aerobic ability you're going to get. With these athletes, you typically see them excelling in both, in both measures. If they're one of the best anaerobic guys, they're probably going to test out aerobically as one of the best so, as well. So I, I, Corey, just pausing there on aerobic uh, capacity, what are you sure. using to measure that? Is it VO2 max? Yeah, typically I'll use a, a VO2 max to look okay. at aerobic okay. capacity. So what sort of, what sort of scores are, are MMA athletes getting? Because I've never seen a kind of published about the range of uh, VO2 max scores in MMA athletes. What have you, what have you been doing? I would say typically if you're looking at anybody that's competitive, professional, UFC, Bellator, World Series, you're probably going to see a range ranging from about 55 milliliters per kilogram per minute up to probably about 72, 73 milliliters per kilogram per minute. And usually when you're looking at this, it's probably not that close to the fight. I mean, I probably won't run a VO2 with anybody – I mean, I like to do it before camp. I like to do it out of camp yeah. more than I actually do when we're when we're in the when we're in the heat of things. Just so for people listening, you, whatever the case might be. So for people listening, not familiar with VO two max, anything over fifty five, I think Corey is superior, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're so talking about they're, they're in the yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 really, like I said, that's out of camp. That's 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 kind of the nature of the sport, having to have a good aerobic base year round. Um, you know, and I think that, that, that helps take care of everything. I think maintaining a solid aerobic base, even though people are going to listen to this and say, well, that fucking sport's not, you know, this and that. It's not aerobic <laughs> in nature and it's not this. I agree with that. But if you can keep a solid, a solid aerobic base throughout the year, you're going to have a better, you're going to have a better opportunity to develop and build that anaerobic base the closer you get to the fight. So yeah. I really do believe in that. And uh, again, I, I trailed away a little bit, of course, but you know, that's one of those things where when you look at an athlete and you say, okay, they are excelling anaerobically, they knock everybody out, they're, they get gassed, their aerobic capacity isn't as high as we want it to, what do we do to train this athlete? You know, I think it's a catch-22. Do you go away from that anaerobic power strength building and focus on the aerobic capacity so they could go five rounds? Or do you just, do you just hammer the anaerobic power strength development so that they can, you know, do what they do best and knock somebody out. It's, you know, it's a catch 22, I think sometimes where you might focus on one thing too much and you're, you're taken away from what they're naturally good at, or you're getting into their head, making them think something when, when realistically you look at somebody like Anthony Johnson, what do we want him to do? Mm -hmm. You want him to go out there and you want him to knock somebody's head off and you want him to do it fast. That's what you want. That's what the, because that's what he's best at. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if there's a, a magical formula to it. I, I don't think there ever will be. Um, I, believe, I believe using the data that you have, I believe using the strategy that the coaches are having around you, and I truly believe keeping it very much simplistic is, is your best approach. Using a very high advanced level of, you know, information and knowledge and figuring out how to make that as simplistic as possible on the athlete. You know, you have to think strength and conditioning is just a small part of all of the different facets that these athletes are enduring on a daily basis, you know, through judo, jujitsu, striking, kickboxing, whatever the case might be. These are all very highly neurologically demanding 
sports specializations. So if we're taking strength and conditioning and we're using something that is going to also hinder and wear down the neurological system, you know, we might not be doing what's best for this athlete at that given time. Yeah. And like you said, there's so many factors, age, weight, um, what the weight cut's going to be, what the strategy is for the fight. I think it's, I think it's a great answer, Corey, because it's, it's like when I get asked the question, my first answer is like an economist. It depends. Yeah. It depends it on absolutely, so, many, so many different it, factors. It, it really does. And, and I think honestly, anybody that gives you an answer with full confidence is probably bullshitting you or bullshitting yes. themselves. I mean, <laughs> or, I really do. Or they're selling you something. That's, that's why. Oh yeah. Oh, if they the tell you it works. Yeah. <laughs> if they tell you it's the, it's, it's, it's my method. Well, yeah. bullshit. It's not your method either. It's, it's a method that you put together from a lot of things and I'm sure it does work, but it's not the right answer for everybody. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, I, I won't be affiliated with one specific product ever because of that, that issue. I don't want to get kind of locked into just promoting one thing because it's definitely not any, any products I do use or do advocate from different times. It's, it's dependent on my engagement with the client, so to speak. And uh, I'm going sure. to recommend to the client what's best for them at that time based right. upon, you know, the goals, the culture, what's needed and not mm-hmm. as opposed to what I'm trying to sell them. So Exactly. So Corey, um, the strength and conditioning stuff is is probably more advanced in MMA, um, and probably in sports in general in the Western world than anything else. But um, one sure. thing we've seen over the last probably six to eight years is the increase in the importance of sleep and recovery. How much? Absolutely. Is, how much is sleep and recovery a factor with MMA athletes? Particularly the fact that it's kind of got this rocky mentality about get up early, train mm-hmm. hard all day. My enemy's sleeping. I'm working. How do you try, how important is sleep and recovery and how do you balance that? You know, I, I think you obviously with, with what you do and, and the information and the research that you've, you've put out and published, I think you're, you guys are doing a great job in bringing more awareness to this. And like I said, it's one of those things that I think there was a point in time where it wasn't even something that I thought about now starting to see the research and, and, and all of the stuff that you guys are doing, it's, it's become, you know, very, very important to myself as a coach and specific athletes. Um, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I think there, I've used a lot of different technology. You know, some people I like to use HRV, some people I like to use sleep, some people I like to look at urine, different things like that. You know, I'm using a lot of different modalities. Um, but my athletes that typically that, that typically had a problem at one point or another with sleep are my athletes that are still being continuously monitored for sleep. Um, a lot of my athletes are doing, you know, both subjective and objective measures, you know, keeping the subjective stuff very, very easy. Just, just give me, you know, give me the quality of sleep. How do you feel you rested yesterday? And those kind of things. And obviously I have the objective measures. Um, obviously, you know what I'm using is, you know, ready band by fatigue science has, has been really good to me and, and my athletes to, to, to be able to provide some of that objective data as well. Um, I think it's been really, really, it's been a really, really great tool for us and a really, really great tool for educating the fighters when they're in camp they have to be turned on throughout the entire camp. You know, some people like to say, you know, I don't want them thinking about this stuff when they're out of the gym. I want them 
but I want them to have some sort of accountability and awareness when they're out of the gym for my guys that are, you know, struggling with weight. It's going to be probably, you know, a, a food tracker of some sort, taking pictures of their meals and sending them to me, those kind of things for my athletes that sleep. It's a, you know, I just took a nap, send me the information. You know, I, every, you know, every athlete's going to be different. We've found with, with certain athletes, with, with our athletes, you know, some of them are performing at very different levels based on a lack, you know, a limited sleep. Some of them are performing really well with a lot of sleep. You know, it's, it's just the idea of bringing some education, bringing awareness and being able to show them data that is showing them that when they are taking the time to utilize sleep, to utilize rest, to take a nap after their first training session, to get to bed at a decent time, to wake up at a decent time, to keep consistency in their schedule during camp, it's been huge when we look at the actual performance measures, when we look at the central nervous system function and, and all of those things. So it's been a great tool for me. And again, yeah, I'm not an expert. I did not claim to be an expert, but it's been great for me to look at data and say, look, when you are consistent, when you are sleeping X amount of hours per day, and when you are hitting this nap at this point, look at how highly functioning your nervous system is the following day. Look at how well you're testing out every Friday when I hit you with a test of measure, you know, when we, when we do a vert or a broad jump or whatever the case might be. Look at the consistency in these numbers and look at how well you performed in the octagon because of this. And, and I think that's huge. So, Corey, what you're seeing in a basic form is the more these athletes sleep in terms of quantity and the better they sleep in terms of quality, the better the performance right. is in training. You know, is that, is that right? I would say... You know, I would say this. I would say, to be honest with you, again, obviously both very important, but I truly believe quality and consistency for this crazy thing called MMA camp may, play, may be just a little bit more important, and again, for my limited people that I've measured, than quantity. Now, yeah. here, when, I say, when I say that, I'm not sitting here saying, okay, sleeping four hours is better than sleeping seven hours or whatever the case might be. I'm not saying that by any means, but I do have some athletes that can get away with maybe five and a half to six and a half for that very short window. That is a six week camp. As long as it's consistent, if they're getting their one hour in from noon to one o'clock right after their first training session. And if they're able to go home and fall asleep at 11 PM consistently, consistently and wake up at, you know, 5 a.m., whatever the case might be, and, and that's working for them. Now, like when I said, I have somebody, you know, an athlete that might be sleeping five and a half hours consistently throughout the camp. Do I think that's something that they can do year-round? No, and I actually have the data on that, that you can see this huge rise in the amount of time that they're sleeping when they are out of camp and stuff like that to maybe make up for what they were going through. But for whatever reason, that consistency for me has been, you know, very much what I've found as the biggest factor to keep the neurological system functioning throughout that very short window that's camp. Interesting. And then Corey did a question and probably in the back of that is uh, on the back of that is so you have a you have this difference in the fight camp and then out of camp. What about the week of the fight which can be quite um, <sighs> I suppose burdensome for fighters cuz got lots of meat oh bad, or have to wear cut there's travel <sighs> there's the whole anxiety about having a fight. Um, that's, that's exactly it. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, 
it, it is very dependent on the athlete. I will be completely honest, and, and it might be terrible for me, but some of these athletes that don't grow or maybe have too much of a dependency of being aware of their monitoring, a lot of times I'll either blind them or take the device away from them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just one of those things. I know it, it sucks for research because we really want to see what's going on. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, I, I'm making my livelihood off of, you know, their performance. And if I think it's going to be burdensome, if I think it's going to be a hindrance psychologically, it might be something that I take away. But, but like you said, you, you addressed it with, with some of the athletes. Um, some of them really do, you know, need it, wear it. And we have the numbers on that as well. And it's, it's a pain in the ass to look at the, look at the fluctuation in this sleep schedule to be able to find time for rest because it's not what they're doing consistently throughout their camp. It's, it's media obligations, it's travel, it's this and that. The one thing I can say that we're very fortunate because we are on Eastern time, if you really think about it, even when the UFC, most of the time, when the UFC is even traveling to Perth or Australia or something like that, they're fighting at whatever time it is, their Australian time, you know, what are we, 12 hours apart? Yep. They're fighting, you know, 12 hours difference. So realistically, our athletes never have to get off of schedule per se. But obviously, you know, obviously the, the, the changes occurring and, in, in, you know, light and dark and, and those kind of things do influence that. But that, that is one thing I can say we're very fortunate that I feel like the majority of the places are trying to compete and hold events at our time frame, so that people in the Eastern time zone can be able to watch that. So that's the one nice thing I can say is we don't have to overthink that too much thinking, okay, what's the time difference? What's this? What's that? But, uh, you know, obviously there still are very much troubles with that, with light, with the media obligations fitting into Australian time for those kind of things. And, and that stuff becomes tricky. So to that point then, Corey, because um, you were obviously, you alluded to at the start of the episode, you working with Luke Rockhold, who recently fought here in Perth in Australia. Um, yeah. And funny enough, my, the first ever event that was held in Perth, where was I? Overseas for work. So <laughs> <laughs> it was crap timing. But um, how, how do you manage jet lag when, um, when these athletes have to travel? It's probably not so bad within the States. You only talk about two or three hours of times, time zones cross. But, um, right. And even going to Brazil, they're on the same time zone. Obviously, there's a bit of sleep deprivation on the flights. or Exactly. You know, kind of a, a, a crap environment. But when you do have to go to Europe or Australia, um, how, how, what do you do to manage those athletes or how do you help them? You know, a, a lot of it is awareness. A lot of it is timing. Uh, we do reschedule a lot of what we're, we're trying to do here in terms of our training to, to compensate for that, to compensate for a long day of travel and, and those kind of things. You know, if, if, for instance, somebody like Luke who, you know, had to travel that, we try to make adjustments before the travel, you know, especially looking at something like the weight cut. If we're going through this, this period where, you know, realistically he's going to be flying and traveling for 24 hours and, yeah. and all of the stress that's associated with that, all of the stress that's associated with trying to stay hydrated, sitting on the plane, you know, all of those kind of things. We do try to move stuff back a little bit. We try to set our goals throughout camp just a little bit differently based on that. Again, when you look at these things like jet lag, it, it really is a very tricky, tricky thing because 
you're looking at a week of time and we have just a very short window that we can really modify these things. And then that athlete has to get out there and perform. Um, I will say for us, especially with our athletes that aren't necessarily required to as many media obligations, you know, we have a lot of guys and a lot of guys that have bought into this. You know, I even, even Anthony Johnson, who, who had to travel. I remember when he fought Gustafsson over in Sweden, Sweden, yeah. uh, you know, his media obligations for the UFC. I remember him putting something in his contract. We, you know, that we talked about this a little bit, that some of his media obligations, even though it was, you know, like radio and things like that had to be at a certain time. What we actually did with him, we never took him off of our schedule. We never took him off of our time. We kept him in the hotel. We blacked out the rooms when it was in, in his rhythm to, to feel tired, to feel sleep. And, you know, we had the lights on in that case and we didn't change. And, you know, for him, it was stops. And, um, you know, so some of the adjustments that we can make, I'll be honest with you again, just like with strength and conditioning, I, I don't know if there is a, a one size fit all. And, I, you know, there's great suggestions and there's great research and there's a lot of things out there. And again, it's just a, it's just such a, it's such a tricky and difficult concept to mm -hmm. get right, especially with our athletes that are only doing it once a year, once every three years, once every yeah. five years, Yeah, you know, no, so I, I, I really think with that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's these kind of outer stakes and these principles, but you've got to then tailor them to each athlete. Like, like what you said there in the example with, with Rumble, you know, I think that fight was at 4 a.m. or something local time. Yeah, exactly which like, right. Which was what, like 11 or 12 o'clock, probably Florida time at night. So, you yep, know, like exactly keeping right. on his own time zone is the best. So, so yeah. on, on, that, on that point, Corey, um, coming towards the end of the podcast, um, one, one other question is, how do you, even if the athletes are not traveling, let's say mm -hmm. you might have an athlete that's typically a morning person, but obviously most of these fights, you know, start at six or seven in the evening for the undercard, main card can be 10 o'clock at night. Somebody sure. at an event could be fighting at midnight or 1 a.m. Do right. you try to shift those fighters to more evening type um, in the week of a, in the, sorry, in the weeks of a camp to try and mm -hmm. kind of push them to that old chronotype where they like to go to bed late and get up late? I know this is one thing that McGregor has probably has yep. done or else he's just kind of, that's probably his makeup. But I know McGregor like reports going to bed at 3 a.m., waking up yep. at 3 p.m., getting out of bed, spending 12 hours in bed a day. There's videos on UFC countdown of him and Gunnar Elson like in the gym at one o'clock in the morning because that's the time of a fight. This things done yep. stuff like that. Do you do any of those principles or how do you kind of advance those guys for the fight? Yeah, we actually do that quite a bit. Um, typically, the way the way our coaches have it set up and, and what we do, um, when you look at about the first half, maybe even a little bit more of camp, we'll typically try to push our, what I would call specialization private sessions towards a little bit later hours. A lot of times strength and conditioning will be one of those things, maybe a, just a technical striking workout. Um, typically not our team or I guess our MMA training necessarily in the early part of camp. As we get closer to the fight, I would say two, three weeks out, that's typically when we'll try to start pushing some of the MMA, some of the fight simulation, some of those things into the later hours of the night where the athlete's going to compete. Um, yeah. You know, we have, a, we, we have a big squad 
So that's kind of the nice thing about it where we have guys fighting at different times. So, you know, a lot of the private work and stuff like that at night, you know, we'll, we'll typically start about 7.30 p.m. Um, unless somebody's going to be fighting earlier on the undercard, then we'll, then we'll go with that. So, you know, those people that aren't in camp and that kind of thing that maybe not aren't on the main card, you know, we'll start with them around 7.30, then we'll jump into 8.30, and then some of our fighters that are fighting later We'll start getting them at 9.30, 10.30, and those kind of things. So, you know, that that's something that we do quite frequently here. Um, you know, like back when I was working with Vitor, Vitor was huge about that. That was something that he said has always worked for him in his camp. So, you know, I can remember being uh, like, you know, really my first my first real MMA experience is crazy to think that that, that I was working, <laughs> you know, I was in, yeah, I mean, this is crazy, but that was like my first real experience was when I first joined the team. It was when Rumble was in camp to fight Cormier and Vitor was in camp to fight Weidman, both for middleweight and light heavyweight title. And that was my first exposure to this. So I was watching those two and, you know, that's a lot of the stuff. Uh, Rashad Evans is, is huge on that being, you know, really working towards the hours that he was. And that's when I first got exposed to it. And then I've watched that and a lot of guys have, have adopted that and, and, you know, some people don't. Some people don't buy into that. Some people, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's you're a professional athlete, but at the end of the day, you're also a husband, a father, whatever the case might be. And, and going away from your family from, you know, 8 p.m. until 12 p.m. And, or till 12 a.m. and then coming home and being riled up till 2 in the morning and then sleeping all day and, and all of those things, you know, sometimes it's just not doable. Um, you know, so, so we, try to, we try to limit it, but we also try and encourage that, that time frame quite a bit especially the closer that we get to it, even if it's not, even if it's not five or six days a week, if yeah. we can even just get, you know, even if we can just get one to two sessions more towards the weekend and towards the end of the week so that the athlete can kind of get adjusted to that, we'll, we'll do that as well. So Corey, do you ever, uh, do you ever uh, plan for athletes to get up at four or five o'clock in the morning and go for a run? <sighs> I have in the past, um, you know, Danny Roberts is a guy, he's from the UK and he very well, he, he responds very well to that. He gives him an opportunity to, to wake up. He'll typically do that. Uh, Danny will then usually fall back asleep before his morning training. So yeah, that's been something that I've done in the past. Um, and currently with somebody like Danny, uh, certain athletes respond to that. Certain athletes don't in my opinion. I mean, I know that I know there's a lot of benefit, a lot of research behind that. Um, you know, and again, it's, it's going to be very dependent on the athlete. I, I hate to give that answer all the time, but it really is. You're, you know, you're working yeah. with, you know, and, and, and again, like you said, there, there's a lot of research out there that will show the benefit. There's a lot of research out there that'll show that an athlete shouldn't cut more than eight, 10% of their body weight, but yet you still have these guys that are, that are doing so and are still winning <laughs> 55 fights in their career and are still world champions. It's, it's one of those things you, yeah. you, you know, you, you try to change, you know, it, it's about really making small, gradual things, gradual steps and, and where to step in. And, and that's the biggest thing. And, you know, like you said, there are athletes like Danny Roberts. I think he's been very successful in making that move and, and waking up and, and getting the blood circulating and, and those kind of things where some of the athletes say they aren't moving till 9:45 a.m. and rolling straight into practice. You know, that's yeah, yeah. Matt, like Matt Mitrione. He's he brushes. I, I every single day he brushes his teeth as he's walking into the gym. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you know what? 
Uh, but then he comes out and performs. And, uh, you know, and certain guys, I think we're doing a lot of things. You know, we, we, have good, we have good sports nutritionists that are also working with us that are providing supplementation and stuff like that. So, you know, we are utilizing caffeine. We are utilizing some melatonin, some GABA, some ZMA, depending on who the athletes are and what's worked for them in the past, you know, whether or not we're really actually seeing any benefit, whether or not we're seeing a placebo, you know, I, I don't know, but it, you know, some of these things, some of these methods are, are benefiting our athletes. So we, we are doing that quite a bit as well. Okay. I think maybe, uh, maybe Matt might have been hitting the head too much playing football and MMA to be walking around the street <laughs> brushing his teeth, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Um, for those of yeah. you who don't know Matt Mitrion, just watch him on the Ultimate Fighter. He's quite interested. <laughs> he is, he is, and he's a giant too. So that's the oh, thing. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to say anything to him. Mr. Mitrion, sorry. Yeah, yeah um, exactly right. Uh, Corey, just on your comment about Danny getting up early in the morning, did you say that he sure. actually goes back and has another sleep, like a nap then as well? Yeah, when he yeah. actually does that, he'll actually go back to sleep before his morning session. And we found, we found for him, it's actually been a really good thing. Um, you know, for me, what I'm basing that off of is basically, you know, not only looking at some of the circadian rhythm stuff, but also looking at neural function and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And, you know, he's in, he's, uh, we, we want our athletes sympathetic. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, in that, in a, in a camp, it really is a, a goal of ours to maintain a heightened nervous system. But when you look at somebody like Danny, he can be, he can be a little too much. And, and I think those, those things, those, those modalities of even just getting them up early, getting them a light run can bring them down to that sympathetic state where he can really perform and perform well when he gets to practice, being able to take that rest and, and, and those kind of things. And, you know, with any athlete, you don't know the root of it. It can be anxiety. It's family. It's your livelihood. It's the fact that you're about to go into a fucking cage and fight somebody. <laughs> like, you know, that's, there's all of those, that's all of those variables associated with it. And, and again, you know, I, you know, we have good, you know, not saying that in, in, in any way is his issue, you know, a, he, he's just a, he's just a wild hyper dude to begin with. That's the thing. He just has energy for days. I mean, that, that's really his thing, but you know, other people, you know, could be something where we have the sports psych in there, the anxieties, the, you know, all of those things. There's so many different variables that, that go into this and, you know, it's, it's your livelihood, just like anybody else who, you know, obviously depends on their job to provide and support a family. And, you know, everybody's guilty of that waking up at five in the morning and sitting there for two hours thinking like, Oh fuck, what am I doing? Where, you know, worrying about, worrying about what did I pay my credit card? Why am I like, I don't even know why I'm thinking about this. I am five o'clock in the morning, you know, so I can only imagine the, the, the thoughts that are going through some of these, you know, some of these athletes minds when they're getting closer to, to fighting another grown man in, in a cage in front of 15,000 people. In your in your underwear, <laughs> yeah, naked, naked, get the boot, right? Yeah, like that's what I think we forget that sometimes. I know I do because, like, as a, as a forty year old man going to jujitsu three times a week, I get nervous when I'm driving the car going, "Shit, I hope this guy isn't here today, or what if he is? What am I going to do?" You know, and here in Australia, well, we get we got a big mix of like people from like you know the Pacific Islands, and there's some big dudes like Mary dudes, Samoans. So I have to grapple with. I'm like. Oh fuck! So I get yeah. here. Imagine going into a cage to get paid <laughs> in front of like millions of people online watching it. Everybody commenting. I'm like, you know, I think you're right. We, I, I forget that. Yeah, we forget that. We get so focused on 
the the athlete conditioning and the human performance aspect that we forget that at the end of the day, this is a fucking fight. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, I just you take it back to even, you know, just take it back to the first time you got in a fight down in the alley in middle school or high school. What the hell do you do? You bend over, you tie your shoes first. It's like these guys don't wear shoes. Yeah. You know, you don't have support and stuff like that. You're just everything that you think of that's comforting to you, you don't have. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the and that's the crazy part about it. And again, that that's why I think that's why I'm so enamored with the work you guys are doing and the and the data and the stuff that you guys are doing. And I think it's gonna keep progressing and I think it's gonna keep changing. I think we're gonna keep look and I think, you know, in your specialization and me with the human performance and stuff, we're gonna keep looking at this data and we're gonna keep publishing this data, we're gonna keep producing this data, but we're gonna have the ability based on the athletes that we work with to yeah. be able to also be aware that guess what? This shit is so new. This sport is so new oh, that yeah. some of this stuff can change. We might be in 10 years looking at ourselves saying, what the fuck were we doing? I can't yeah. believe we were talking about this on this podcast. We were so wrong. But you <laughs> I, know what? That, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and that's the beauty of all this. And, and, and I think that's why the people that are in these combat sports are, are so drawn to it because it's it's something you're, you're growing every day. You're learning every day. You're running into experts like yourself that are – you know, that are sources of resources of knowledge and, and to help, you know, it's just, it, it's a great field and it's, it's so new. That's the thing. It's, it, it's just, people don't realize it's, you know, there's, you know, something like the NFL, something like the MLB, you know, these sports have been around, you know, NFL 50, well shit, 70 plus years, you know, look at NBA basketball, you're looking at almost a hundred years, you know, this is in its infancy where I don't even think the UFC has been around for what, maybe 20 years. I don't even know years, if they yeah. fit. Yeah, 25 years. I mean, that's, we, we don't know anything yet. I didn't know anything when I was a 25-year-old, so I can't imagine like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, don't so, worry. I'm 40 and I still don't know anything. So don't, don't worry. Yeah. yeah, actually, who the hell am I fooling? <laughs> I pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but no. Um, so I, I think that's the beauty of it. So, Corey, the last question is going to be, because everybody's going to sure. be like, wow, he gets to train with all those cool people. <laughs> you know, he gets, to, he gets to work with all those cool people. Does he train with all those cool people? So have you got a, kind of bitten by the MMA book? Have you started like working your hands with Henry Hooft? Have you started grappling with, you know, Rashad Evans? Have you, have you been working on your takedown defense? What, what have you been training? Have you bit, has the bug bitten you or are you just too busy? Okay. The, the bug has bitten me, but when you, but, but listen, there is a hierarchy at my gym and I don't care if I'm a strength coach that these guys rely on. Oh yeah. There is no way Henry's holding pads for me. He might, he might, he might look at me and shit. I don't know. Maybe point to his wife and have me hit mitts with her. Hey, you, you get to me eventually. So there's definitely a hierarchy. Um, you know, he, he's got a lot of affiliates in his system. So for me, typically I, I like to do mitt work more than, more than anything else. Um, you know, I, I'll do a lot of mitt work. Uh, it's better than getting on a treadmill and running and those kind of things. I can, knock out a mitt session in 30 minutes and I'm done for the day. So I, I definitely like doing the, doing the mitt work the most. Um, I'll do a little bit of BJJ, uh, George Santiago. I used to jump in his classes quite a bit again. Um, you know, but, but I'm aware, you know, people, people want to look at these guys and say, you know, I'd love to do that. I'd love this. No, you wouldn't trust me on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, trust me. You wouldn't, you, you don't want to grapple with Rashad Evans. You yeah. don't want to go in and box Chris Algieri. I, you don't want to do it, and, and that, that's the thing about it. It's at the end of the day, you you know, I, I'm very aware of what these guys are, are capable of doing. But but again, those those guys are resources for me. I, I have fun with it. 
Um, you know, now that's not to say though that I won't get in that strength and conditioning facility and outlift them. Now that I like to do. I like to make sure that they know that I'm strong. They don't know if I can fight, but they know I'm strong. So that's that's a good thing. But yeah, no, I I do it for fun. Uh, I think it's important as a coach to understand what the body feels like going through those trainings. And I think that's more, more important for me to be able to go through a BJJ session and understand, okay, how do I feel now? What would I feel like if I have to train later and those kind of things. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it's definitely not competitive, but it's, it's still definitely to, to gain more knowledge and, and to understand what my athletes are experiencing and, and, and how training different modalities feels on the body. Yeah, look, I'd agree with you as well. I, I, I'm the same. And I think as researchers, like when we were doing some stuff at the Australian Institute of Sport, myself and, and Reed, Reed Real and Israel Halpern, like I think one of the benefits that we had dealing with combat athletes is like Israel was a kickboxer. Reed is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I was a blue belt, purple belt at the time. Uh, yeah. still, still a purple belt now. But I think even if you're not world class, I think the fact that you train gets yeah. you a lot of respect. Uh, yeah. and I think because people go, well, at least he's trying or he's trying to understand or he's got some idea of combat sports. And, you know, since my work at the IS, I've been like doing, um, intermittent MMA classes just for conditioning, uh, doing some boxing, um, right. a little bit of crossover working with the Australian, uh, high performance manager for, uh, wrestling is actually here in Perth in Western Australia and Alan Landy doing some wrestling classes. And the more you do, it's a bit like that Dunning-Kruger curve. You realize how little you know about combat sports. Absolutely. And, but also as well, it gives you an appreciation exactly like you say of two it is for athletes, amateur, professional, what you're going through. Like I do an MMA class some evenings and most of the guys are between 20 and 26, 27. Right. Man, oh man, at 40 years of age, like, you know, I'm still <laughs> a fairly, well, you know, I got, I've been running ultra marathons up until last year. You know, okay. I, I, I train like 10, 12 hours a week. I would consider myself fairly fit with a resting heart drive, like 41. And, right. you know, they're still absolutely killing me, these dudes. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's the thing too. People yeah. don't like, again, and you know what? I think that right there is, is another thing. When we were talking about that perfect, you know, that perfect training system, that perfect marriage. I mean, realistically, you, you, you do ultra marathons. You're, you're aerobic base and you're, the amount of aerobic training that you probably do probably actually exceeds what these guys are doing in MMA. Mm. But guess what? You go put yourself in a – go put yourself with all of that aerobic capacity in a vulnerable situation where maybe now your neck's exposed or where you know you're in the hands of somebody that's higher level and watch how fast that – and, and, and watch how fast that aerobic base goes. It's gone. You're fucking exhausted when you, when you feel that stress and you know you're – you know, and it's one of those things. It, it'd be like – it's the same thing. You know, when you were starting jiu-jitsu – and you start going in there, and for some reason you got that opportunity to go with that that black belt sitting there, and and that feeling that you have where you know whatever you're doing, you know that you're vulnerable, but yet he's just so fluent, and like you just you're losing it, you're losing, you're, and he barely he's barely trying, and it's like that you you add those stressors, you add that 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 you know that unknown to it, and those kind of things, and. And that's what I mean. It's, it's, there, there's just so much to it where, you know, a lot of times I feel like people do say that, oh, this athlete doesn't have a gas tank. This athlete doesn't have that. No, this athlete just responds very differently when he's getting punched in the face and he's a exactly. wrestler or vice versa when he's a striker. And now he's got somebody who he's just, you know, he's, he's laid a couple of good ones on him. And now all of a sudden the guy's in on a double leg and they're sitting there against the cage exerting every amount 
or every, you know, all of the energy they have to make sure they don't get taken down on the ground. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like I look at, look at guys that fight like Khabib, that fight Khabib, you know, Ally Aquinta and all that stuff. You know, it's the fear of being in an uncomfortable situation almost takes you out of your game. It tires you. It wears you down. It's, and you know, so I don't, we could talk about this all day. I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, I could go crazy about this all day, but, but you know, it's awesome. I, w- I want to give you one final example before we wrap it up is uh, sure. in, in the jiu-jitsu world, you might be familiar with Craig Jones. Yep, absolutely. And you, do you know Lachlan Giles? Yep. Yep. So I've known those guys for a few years and they live in Melbourne and I'm in Perth, okay. but I've, we travel over there quite a bit because my wife is from that region. So I right. met Lachlan a few years ago. Lachlan actually, Lachlan actually has a PhD in physiotherapy. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. done some good stuff. Yeah, and he just finished off a few years ago. And so I remember the first time I met Lachlan. I was a blue belt. Lachlan was a black belt. Um, I was like both about the same weight. I was like, oh, he can't really fuck me up that bad. Right. Mate, within 10 seconds, I couldn't even breathe. He had yeah. just walked up my body from half guard and absolutely murdered me. And I think yeah. I was mad about seven times in a five-minute round. And that dude is a <laughs> And it just, it's to your point. It's like, I was absolutely just my, you know, I got a, a VO2 max of 70. You think I could take yep. a breath after five seconds? I was just in panic mode. Yeah, exactly and right. And I, I remember rolling with Craig Jones when Craig was a purple belt and I was a blue belt. And Craig was about 76, 77 kilos at the time. And Craig was known for his triangles at the time. There was no real, there was no real ankle locks, heel hooks going on at that gym. And I remember mm-hmm. training with those guys. I nearly passed out within five seconds of Craig because I was just in a tank. <laughs> That's like, this, what it is. This is, this is, this is crazy. This is, yeah. this is where, like, you know, you can talk about all your condition, all your aerobic base, your strength, your power, your flexibility, your mobility, but skill, mm-hmm. skill will absolutely crush all of that every time. And we see that yep. in the gym, you know, as a, as a sort of a 168-pound purple belt. You see these guys coming to the gym, 220, 250, jacked up. And you're submitting them, and they're you're, they're looking at you like you just did magic on them. Yep, that's why you're, I always you're say exactly it. right. Skill will always be will beat that. You're exactly right. There's no doubt about it. So, Corey, um, I want to ask you one final question. I keep saying this, but this is my final question before I ask what people. <laughs> you were recently on you were recently on UFC Countdown. Okay. We, when I saw you on that. You popped up, and I was like, "Hey, that's Corey. I know him." And my wife goes, who? The guy with the pencil behind his hair? I was like, yeah. <laughs> the, ba- the backwards hat and the pencil? The backwards yeah, hat and the pencil. Yeah. What's yeah. that about? Is that a look you always use? Are you a pen and, pe- a pen and paper, pencil and paper type of guy? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I am. It's, it's so funny. Like, my, guy, my, my fighters think it's the funniest thing because I come in with this piece of paper that just looks like it's went through shreds. It's went through the ringer. And, you know, it's like, you know, I'm sweaty. I keep it sitting there on my, on my waistband and stuff like that. This thing, like, sometimes it rips in half on me. You, you just see scribbles. And they have no idea what it says and this and that and, and the other thing. And then you see that. But, like, the, the missing part that they don't know is that then when I get home, you should see like my computer. It's meticulous. Every weight, everything they put in there. Like I, I'm, I'm OCD about monitoring and tracking exactly what they do. But then, you know, before I actually go out for a workout, I'll just hit the print. I know what the weights are. I know where they need to be. I know what I need to adjust. I throw that in there and it's, it's pen and paper. Uh, when I'm, I, I just, I can't do, I can't do the iPad thing. I can't, 
I, I know social media is a huge thing and all this stuff, but I just can't be one of those coaches that is coaching while looking through my phone and stuff like that. I can't do that stuff. I just can't. I need the pen. I need the piece of paper. And, and I have to be right there in their face. And, and, and that's it. And that's how I get the best out of them. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just saying, totally agree. It's old school. Which, uh, which <laughs> countdown was it? Oh, I can't remember. Um, I don't know either. I'm not sure. Could have been uh, maybe Usman, maybe Strew. Oh, I think it was. Oh, I, think it was I think it was Usman when he was fighting Daniel Cormier. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was that. I think it was that one. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah so that that's that's the look, the backwards <laughs> hat, and the pen. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it's it's funny too. You know, I'll tell you what, though. This is the good thing about it. Every single time somebody gets their own custom-made snapback, I'm the first person to get one. So that's the, that's, the, that's the benefit of sticking to the same look all the time. You know, some people get T-shirts if they're a T-shirt guy. No, I get the, I get the snapback every single time. So, Yeah, wow. Sorry, and, and, that's what everybody, and that's what everybody wants. They want the hat. The hat's the best thing. Well, unfortunately, as a white, pasty, middle-aged Irish, <laughs> Irish man, wearing a snapback makes me look like, I think what my wife called me was a cracker. That's what she called me. So, so great. Uh, I think I, I don't think I could be wearing snapbacks. So, um, yeah, I'll take the t-shirt. <laughs> no, I know. I think it's funny. Uh, I, I always, I always get comments about that look where I think people, people will laugh where they'll catch me in like a, you know, they'll catch me drawing blood or taking saliva span samples or running a VO2 or a, a Dex or something, you know, relatively high level in a laboratory, <laughs> and they're in with a backwards hat, and they're like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" Yeah. I think that's one, so, of the things, one of the things you get like being a kind of what I would call a pracademic is like if, yeah. I, go to, if I go to companies or uh, go somewhere, they're, they're expecting some guy with, you know, elbow patches and a pipe. Uh, yep. But would be a rock up like in a hoodie and a pair of shorts or a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> they're like, oh, uh, you got tattoos and like you're, oh, you're uh, you don't look like what we thought you would look like. So it's quite interesting. That's, yeah, that's funny. That's hilarious. So Corey, how can people follow you on social media? What what's the best way to um, to follow your work? Uh, maybe view some of your research. If you got a website, Instagram, what's the best way? Sure. Um, okay. So to to access what I'm doing, go to Doctor C Peacock. Um, that'll be Twitter, Instagram, probably more Instagram than Twitter. Um, you can go to peacockperformance.com. Uh, you'll have you know a list of the clients, list of upcoming fights. Uh, some of my media stuff, podcasts, countdowns, uh, anatomy of a fighter, different things like that, where you can find out about myself. Uh, outside of that, um, there is going to be what is known as the Fight Science Institute. Uh, it's a combination of myself, Tony Ricci, who is up in New York, who works with all of the guys at Longo Weidman, uh, oh, yeah. Phil DeRue, who's the strength and conditioning coach at American Top Team. And Chris Algieri, who is a you know, former WBO champion and uh, you know, two-time kickboxing champion, who also has his master's degree in sports nutrition and is a, you know, is a, a working sports nutritionist for a shitload of athletes out there in the world yeah. and still a competitive fighter. Um, so the four of us are doing what is known as the Fight Science Institute. Uh, we'll actually be you know, launching our inaugural um, – workshop it'll be august 11th and 12th down here in south florida at uh xpe and h kickboxing so if anybody's in the area there'll be a lot of information coming out so follow fight science institute on social media as well and, and you'll get updates with that um i think it's going to be a 
great organization, a lot of different coaches and nutritionists working with a lot of high level athletes. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot for people to benefit from these seminars and the certifications that are going to follow. No, that's great, Corey. And we wish you all the best with that. Very much. I appreciate this. All right, Corey, thank you very much. And, uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. And God damn, I'm sorry. I had to, to, to cancel like that so many times. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so thank, thank God we had an opportunity to do this. Oh, it's good, man. Thanks very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. I got Struve walking in here right now, so I got to get jumping into this session. All right. Thanks, Corey. All right. Take care. How good was that episode? It's great to uh, have Corey on and discuss some of the uh, work that he's been doing with some of those elite level fighters. If you want to follow Corey, he's over on Twitter. Uh, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y Peacock, as in the bird PhD, so at D-R-C Peacock on Twitter You can find him over there And uh, he's on Instagram as well uh, I might have to look up here why he's on Instagram No, he's got a great Instagram page Because every 20 minutes or so <laughs> What it feels like is Corey Is posting these awesome pictures with uh, Some elite level fighters, so If you want to see some great pictures of fighters You can go over there as well And uh, Corey his handle is, oh, I think it's just the same as Twitter there, DRC Peacock. Uh, he's over there and he's based in Florida. So you see some great pictures there. And as I look here, I see him with many top level fighters. Um, yeah, so check out Dr. C. Peacock and uh, head to peacockperformance.com also as well to get some great info. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll leave you with this classic Metallica track. Maybe do some burpees while you're listening to this. You're all fired up.
This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is brought to you by Orbiz. Orbiz are a global consulting firm who facilitate the rapid delivery of significant and sustainable improvements in performance across a diversity of industries. They facilitate turnaround, transformation and strategic improvement programs through the development and implementation of a system and culture of lean and continuous improvement. Now Orbis are growing their global presence across the Asia-Pacific region, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas. Their range of services include optimization of business development systems to deliver growth, true to operating system improvements that reduce cost by improvements in safety, quality and productivity. So what this means for your business, typically they will give you outcomes such as a reduction in cost. Who can beat that? Increasing capacity utilization, throughput, increase in revenue, profitability, and overall customer value and satisfaction. Orbis have extensive experience in facilitating change in challenging environments by utilizing lean tools and methodology, joining engagements across the world, including diverse um, sectors and industry, such as mining, energy, construction, transport, aerospace, manufacturing, and healthcare. Orbis people are industry professionals driven to achieve sustained results through the development of trusted relationships. So head over to www.orbiz.io, that's Orbiz, O-R-B-I-Z.io, for more information, get in contact with them to organize a visit today to your organization. This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is also brought to you by Sleep WA, Western Australia. Now, Sleep WA is one of the only few nationally accredited sleep laboratories in Western Australia, meaning that they have put their services and quality systems to the test against the national standards. They provide commitment and dedication by providing you a high quality service. Now, I've worked with these guys before. They are excellent. Um, they are a very diligent business and one that is trusted here in Western Australia. Sleep WA is one of the only sleep and respiratory centres to provide holistic care and treatment for all sleep and respiratory disorders, not just obstructive sleep apnea, which many people would have hear, heard about in, uh, in the news or in, in the scientific literature or even on this podcast. So Sleep WA believe that all patients deserve compassion, support, multiple treatment options and education to allow them to actively participate in their own journey to better health. Sleep WA provides a comprehensive service to diagnose and recommend treatment of all respiratory diseases and sleep disorders. This includes rare sleep disorders and those complicated by cardiovascular disease. The Sleep WA philosophy is to offer patients expert diagnosis, effective therapy and supportive guidance on the road to better health and sleep. They are a leader in respiratory and sleep medicine and provide the following service at locations throughout Western Australia. Consultation with experienced specialists, comprehensive respiratory testing for lung disease, asthma and allergies, inpatient sleep studies, home-based sleep studies, that's pretty handy, insomnia management programs for insomnia and circadian disorders, and fatigue management programs to reduce risk and improve health in the workplace. So get started on your journey towards better health and sleep today and head over to Sleep WA, that's WA for Western Australia, and get in contact with Dion and Jack over there. This episode is also brought to you finally by Fatigue Science. The Fatigue Science Ready Band is a wearable device that helps you improve safety and your performance through the science of sleep. The Ready Band is a way more than just a sleep tracker. It's the world's only sleep measurement tool that's paired with safety. 
a biomathematical fatigue model, which has a predictive algorithm. So what that means is actually predicting to the future what your performance is going to be based upon your data. This was initially developed by the US Army Research Lab and was uh, built to improve the performance of soldiers in operational environments. Now this device has been adapted to work in elite athletes and industrial workers. This is also a device that I have validated in the laboratory myself and I have used extensively in industry and research applications. As listeners of this podcast, you probably know that restorative sleep is about more than just the numbers of hours of sleep you get, factors like when you sleep, how much sleep that you have accrued, and even your local um, geographical location, so a sunset, the time you go to bed, the time the sun comes up, all of these things are all these different factors in chronobiology um, that affect your performance. So this ready band was developed to incorporate all these factors that can really help you understand the real impact of sleep on your life. So ReadyBand not only helps you track changes to your fatigue over time, but also allows you to discover new ways to achieve personal fatigue improvement goals. So you can actually measure the improvements that you're making uh, as you go. Now, ReadyBand is is relied on by lots of different organizations and they've got a very impressive resume. So winners of the Super Bowl, Seattle Seahawks have used this, the Chicago Cubs have used this, military special forces and workers who operate in uh, long shifts in dangerous environments such as tunneling underground, mining, oil and gas. Uh, it's been used in elite sports such as rugby, basketball, um, it's been used at the Australian Institute of Sport, it's been used in uh, elite MMA athletes who compete in the UFC. So it's a wide variety of applications. So if fatigue is important to you and your organization, whether you're a sports team or an industrial workforce, head to fatiguescience.com, that's fatiguescience.com, to speak to a member of their team and to learn more about how the ReadyBank can improve safety and performance in your organization. Thank you for listening to these ads. Now on to the episode. 